Thank you, choir. Thank you, Alan. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a great morning. And even more, we thank you for the great hope we have in Christ. We pray, Father, that you would reveal truth to us from your word today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Lake Havasu City, Arizona, it was 116 degrees yesterday. And today, it's 117 degrees. Does that make you feel any better at all? (laughs) Even in the summertime, uh, we recognize the goodness of our God. But we have to wonder, does anybody else wonder, does anybody here think it was this hot in the Garden of Eden? See, I don't think so. I think something changed with the fall that affected uh, the temperature of our world. No wonder the Apostle Paul says... Not only do we cry for liberation from the frustration and bondage to suffering and sin, but the whole creation cries. Sometimes if we listen closely, we can hear the creation cry for the day of liberation, the day that Paul calls the day of revelation of the sons and daughters of God. And we may love freedom as much as any people who ever lived, but the freedom we celebrate here is but a glimpse of the great liberation of all creation from bondage and suffering. And we can't fully see that day, but we hope for it and we wait for it eagerly. When will we be free? Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, home free, Romans 8. You, you know Romans eight twenty eight that God is working all things together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Is that you? Do you love Him? Are you called according to His purpose? You know verse 31 says, since God is for us, who can be against us? And I know you know that that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you ever pondered what comes before those verses? Let me just give you a hint. It's really good. Let's stand together. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Home free. Hear the word of the Lord. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You may be seated. There is a glory that is greater than all our groaning. We live in a world that is suffering and Christianity does not minimize that suffering but it doesn't stop there. The Apostle Paul goes on to envision a different world, a world where the frustration of creation is ultimately subsumed in the freedom of the children of God. That the freedom that we have in Christ will someday be part of not just a new heaven, but also a new earth. This is the vision that Paul gives us of heaven and he shows us that picture showing us not only that we are part of a suffering world but that there is a better world coming. And even as Paul speaks those words he envisions that you and I are already harbingers of that hope in this world. Already we are those who by the countenances, by the reflection of the Lord's glory in our faces hold out hope and a promise to the world around us that it will not always be the way it is. World without end. Amen. Not only is our groaning the groaning of all creation, but believe me when I say, our hope is the hope of all creation. And there is no greater hope than the hope that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when Christ reveals His hope in us, well, listen to what He says in verse 19. Creation is waiting. What is creation waiting so eagerly for? For the day that you and I will be revealed as daughters and sons of God. And we can envision that eschatologically out in the future somewhere, but we live in the already but not yet, in this tension between the times. We, we live in a day when Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. So Christ envisions us, Paul envisions the church as that place where heaven is already taking place, where all heaven is breaking loose among God's people. And as God's, as God's presence is revealed through the Holy Spirit, you and I live with hope even as we wait expectantly for that great freedom that will be ours. In some way, we bring freedom to the world. While we live, notice in this passage that at home here, and where else do we have right now? At home here, we groan while we suffer. And he describes our groaning and our suffering in this world. And in verse 17, he says, it's, it's only as we suffer with Christ that we prepare ourselves to be glorified with Christ, to share in his glory. And then in verse 18, he makes this extraordinary statement. He says, I've been calculating. That's the word. I've been considering. I've done the math, he says, and I've come to the conclusion that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Listen to this. Not to us, but in us. 
It's very like the statement that he makes in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, when he says, our light and momentary troubles. I don't know about you, but the troubles that I endure in this life don't often seem light or momentary, but they are only by comparison to the the glory that they are achieving for us, the glory that outweighs them all. There is a glory that is greater than our groaning here. This is not to minimize our groaning. It is to say that the glory is infinitely greater than the temporary groaning of this world. And he says, we groan. The the creation waits, he says, in eager expectation. The creation groans, as he describes it, in its bondage to decay and suffering and pain. Those are the words that he uses. But you and I also experience that groaning in this world. We know, he says in verse 22, the whole creation is groaning. In this world. And sometimes we can listen. I've been listening this week even to the news. And the great icons of our culture. People like Carl Malden and and Farrah Fawcett and Michael Jackson and Billy Mays. Do not ultimately outlive the suffering of this life in this world where there is pain. We received a phone call this week. It is the fourth such phone call in the last year and a half where somebody in our family under the age of 50 unexpectedly went to be with the Lord. The third in their 20s. A 24-year-old cousin of mine, Casey's, uh, Casey's first cousin, um, 24 years old with a 2-year-old and a 1-year-old up in Chicago, went to sleep and did not wake up the next day. And I said to Melanie, do you realize the life expectancy of these people in their 20s, when they were born, was somewhere in the 70s. They're leaving 50 years of potential life unlived. Between the four in our family, I know you can calculate in your family, but in our family, we've lost 180 years in the last year and a half of life expectancy. And when you get those phone calls, what do you do? We groan. Ah, There's something inside us that wants to say, not again. I read that amazing story on the internet this week about the family with the two-year-old and the python and the baby is killed. It's just, it's just unimaginable to us that we live in this world of such great suffering. And why? He says because the creation was subjected, verse 20, to frustration, not by its own choice. The world doesn't want it to be this way. We don't want it to be this way. Why is the world the way it is? And the answer is not that Adam subjected it or that Satan subjected it, but rather that, that God subjected this world, he says, in hope that we will turn to him, And so Adam and Eve's choice uh, affects us. They ate the sour grapes and our teeth are, are set on a- edge by their choices. I read about little Jessica this week, a little girl who was asking her mom, why do bad things happen to people in this world? And, and, and her, her mom began to explain to her and opened up Genesis chapter 3 and showed her verse 17, the earth is cursed because of what you've done, God said to Adam. And just we live in this fallen world. It's not always our choices that lead to our pain and suffering. Sometimes it's the choices of others. Sometimes choices made long ago. Part of being in a fallen world is we are subject to suffering and to pain and to groaning. And she explained it carefully to Jessica to her satisfaction. And, and later that week, Jessica was not feeling well and she was uh, She was concerned and she said to her mom, Oh, if Adam and Eve had only not done what they had done, I would not be sick right now. 
Just think if they hadn't made that choice. She was just venting. And then she said, but on the other hand, we would all be sitting around naked if they hadn't. You know, just sort of a child's perspective on these things. It's a sort of balance there. But we live in this world of deep and sincere frustration. He says, we groan and, and the creation groans. Look at verse 26 where he says, even God groans. We don't even know how to pray anymore. We're spiritually speechless. We don't know what to say. The Spirit prays on our behalf, making intercession for us. Do you know that we serve the suffering God? It's why Paul could say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, before in verse 27, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my body, in my body, he says, something in my suffering is a completion even of the sufferings that Christ endured. We live in this suffering world. We serve this suffering God. Tim Keller tells about after 9-11 in New York City, he's a pastor there of a very vibrant congregation, and he said people came, 600 to 800 new people within a span of a couple of weeks. And the um, unarticulated question that they were asking by their presence was, what does your religion have to offer to me? And he said, I stood week after week in the aftermath of 9-11 in New York City and said, do you know that Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God lost a child to a violent and unjust death and that in this world of suffering, Our God is the God who suffers with us. There is no other religion on this earth that offers that kind of hope in the God who has suffered with us. And so we, as we are at home here, groan while we suffer. But that's not the end of the story. The the answer to this passage is not misery loves company. The world's groaning and we're groaning and, and God's groaning. It's just a really big mess. No, that's not what he says. What he says is that while we are at home here, we hope while we wait. The word he uses for wait here, he says the creation is waiting eagerly. We wait expectantly. That word is literally one um, that means to stand on your tiptoes, stretching your head upward, looking around. The, The early believers lived with an eye to the sky. They knew that this life was not all there was. Uh, E. Stanley Jones said, the early church succeeded because, precisely because, they didn't stand around wringing their hands saying, look what the world has come to. Instead, they lifted their eyes in delight and said, look who has come to the world. And that message, the message of the gospel, is the hope of all people. Hope in the New Testament is not this nebulous, vague kind of wish. It's a a confident expectation Lee Eklov tells about a gift he received recently of a cross and inscribed on that cross were the strange words, hope raises no dust. And you know, as a theologian and pastor, he thought he ought to know what that meant, but for the life of him, he couldn't figure it out. And so he Googled it and discovered that it had come from um, a French poet named Eluard who was a you know what Dadaism is? You can Google it yourself. But basically it sort of looks at, at all of our culture as absurd. And then it says things in art form that sort of contradict and, and look at the purposelessness of all creation. He's also famous for statements like, the earth is blue like an orange. And um, elephants are contagious. The kids last night thought this was really interesting. They were all going home to Google. I don't know. But I know this, that our hope is not vague 
It's not nebulous, it's, it's personal, it's historical in Jesus Christ. Here is the hope of the world. We stand at the entrance of an empty tomb and hear the words, because Christ lives, we too shall live. This is our hope and that hope is real. They say that Winston Churchill, when, when Billy Graham came on March the 1st, 1954 to London, England, they say that Churchill paced back and forth in his office preparing for his meeting with uh, Graham because he wondered aloud what does one say to an evangelist and when they sat down in the room Winston Churchill who had become such a symbol of hope and optimism for the world looked across the table at Billy Graham and said young man do you have any hope because I do not have any hope we live in a world that is groaning saying I do not have any hope and I believe That they are looking to us into the countenances of those who say they believe in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Wondering aloud sometimes, is there really any hope for people like us? Martin Luther King Jr. said, we we must live with, with finite disappointment. But we must also live with infinite hope. What is our hope like? C.S. Lewis, who lost joy, Davidman, his wife, to cancer, wrote on a little plaque these amazing words about her life. I had never seen it until a couple of weeks ago, and here it is. Here the whole world, this is how he described Joy's life. Here the whole world, stars, water, air, field, and forest, as they were reflected in a single mind, like cast-off clothes, was left behind in ashes, yet... With hope, don't miss that, that she, reborn from holy poverty in Linton lands hereafter, may resume them on her Easter day. That's our hope. That we who live with affliction and suffering and untimely death and miscarriages and pain will someday see God turn all of those things. We not only at home here groan while we suffer, but we hope while we wait. And we remember that at home there, in faith, in freedom, we will grow in glory. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 18. This glory that will be revealed in us. This is what the world is waiting for. What is the world waiting for? What do we hope for? He says, verse 23, we are hoping for this redemption of our bodies. That these bodies will be transformed and be made new. I'm going to talk about that next week. That we wait for the redemption of our bodies. We wait, he says, for our adoption as, as children of God. We hear this around our house a lot these days. One of the most common expressions in my house these days is, when are you going to adopt me? And the answer to that question when it's asked is, as soon as they let us. That It's the same question and the same answer every time, but it's repeated over and over again. Last night it was in the context of, can I spend the night at a friend's house? And I said, well, not exactly, because... CPS won't allow that, but they would have to do a home study on the homes of our friends, and we don't want to subject friends to that kind of treatment, and so no, you can't do that yet. Well, can we go on vacation to Alaska, she says. I don't know why Alaska, but Alaska. Well, someday we can go on vacation to Alaska, but not yet. Why not? Because they won't let us leave the state. Well, when I get adopted, 
Will I be able to spend the night at my friend's house? When I get adopted, will I be able to go out of state? Yes, you will. When are you going to adopt me? As soon as they let us. You know the conversation now. And in fact, she is waiting, this is the word, waiting eagerly for adoption. But she is not nearly as eager as we are. And if you could receive it this morning, as eager as you and I are for the redemption of our bodies, for our adoption, even more, our Heavenly Father is eager for the completion of all things, for the consummation, for the new creation, when He will make not only a new heaven, but also a new earth. And N.T. Wright is is right about this. God has not only... um, claim that we are right. He has not only counted us as right, this is our righteousness. He has not only made us right, but He has made us right so that we can begin to set things right. And the cry of creation for justice begins to be fulfilled in the people of God as we live, as we are progressively, chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, conformed to the image of God's Son. No, when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans chapters 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, then these things begin to take place. And you and I are waiting for redemption and adoption, but the world is waiting for it to become apparent who the sons and daughters of God are. So if you are they then let it be revealed in who you are, in how you live. Imagine, imagine if Wilberforce had just said, you know, this world's going to be the way it is. I'll just wait till I get to heaven. But he wouldn't quit until slavery was abolished. Imagine Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta, India, caring for the people that everybody else had forgotten about. What if she had just said, you know, it really doesn't matter. This world doesn't matter. Imagine if you and I bought into the lie that this world doesn't matter at all anyway, and so we just let it go. But in fact, we are here for a reason, as John Perkins revealed in a city council meeting in Jackson, Mississippi some years ago when there had been some corruption and city council members had been arrested and put in jail and somebody asked the question, whose fault is this? And somebody was about to say, Matthew Friedman, who wrote the article, said, I was about to say, it's the fault of those people who made those corrupt choices. But before I could speak, he said, John Perkins, author, lecturer, Bible study teacher, said, it's my fault. I've been teaching the Bible in this city for decades You would think after all that I have taught from the scriptures in the time that I have lived here that what these council members did would have been unthinkable if you want to know who to blame. It's me. You think he was grandstanding? I don't think so. I think we're here to make a difference. I think we're the only ones who can make a difference and we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I invite us not to say, Lord, what are you going to do about hunger? Lord, what are you going to do about war? Lord, what are you going to do about about poverty? I invite us to say, Lord, how can we join you in your great mission on this earth? How can we be the sons and daughters of God revealed in this world who have already begun to experience the freedom that comes in Christ in anticipation of that great liberation from all frustration? You and I begin now to show the world what it means to walk with Jesus Christ so that they will always, they will always see that we have an answer For their question about the hope that is in us. I was just studying these things and pondering them yesterday. 
uh, as I was working out at Bally's and as I walked down the stairs and went into Starbucks to undo all that I had done in the hour before. I was just thinking about these things and I guess I was smiling, I don't know. But the gentleman at the counter said, what are you up to? And I said, nothing. And he said, you look like you're about to get into trouble. I said, I certainly hope not. He said, well, why are you so happy? And there it is. The opportunity to say, I've been thinking about things that change the world. And God has put us here to make a difference, to begin to experience that freedom. So while we are here, he says, while we are here, we're not like Moses who uh, had the veil and whose glory faded. But we are with, he says, with ever increasing glory, we're being transformed into his Likeness. This is who we are. This is who God has made us to be. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Do you know that truth? I read this week about, uh, about a, a professor from Glasgow named McDonald who back during World War II with a friend was shot down behind enemy lines, was placed into a prison camp. It was subdivided, the prison camp, between the Americans and the British and they tried to keep them separate so that they couldn't collaborate. The Americans had, had devised a crude sort of radio so they could get reports from the outside and Glasgow was placed in, in that area and his, his friend was placed over with the British and And there, from time to time, they would come down to the fence that separated the two. And in the old Gaelic language, which was indecipherable to their enemies, they would tell what they had learned in their respective camps. And and then the day the news came that that the um, enemy high command had resigned and that the war was over but it was unknown to their captors that news came first to the Americans and McDonald took the news to his friend his friend took it into the British barracks and there was this eruption of joy and in his words the entire camp was transformed men were shouting and singing they waved at the guards they laughed at the guard dogs everything was changed and then three nights later during the night their captors received the news they opened all the gates and escaped into the night before they were captured themselves and that picture is a picture of what it means to live in the already but not yet it may be that the world has not heard what it's going to be like to be freed from all the frustration and pain and suffering but you and I have heard and because we have heard We must tell the good news. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ our Lord. I pray today, Lord, you would make us faithful to live as people who have been set free, that we might carry forward this great love affair with freedom that we have heard about this week, that we as Baptists have been a part of for these many, many years, 400 years, Lord, Help us, I pray, Lord, to be faithful, not only to be free, but to set others free with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.